working retail at Christmas time. Some of you here today know what that's like. It is not for the faint at heart, so be nice to those people in the stores. I want you to think about some of the struggles they face this time of year. People waiting at the door when they open and not being able to get rid of people when they're trying to close. Shoppers who destroy everything and buy nothing. You get off work at 11 o'clock, you're there cleaning up till 2 a.m. People demanding discounts on regularly priced items that they found in the sales section. Customers who ask for that gift receipt right after you just finished their transaction and you just asked them if they wanted a gift receipt. Oh, but you say they get to listen to beautiful Christmas music all day. Yeah, all day, all day, every hour, same playlist over and over every day. I mean, it's like Rudolph and Frosty attacking your dreams at night, nightmares. Never-ending lines of people. And knowing it doesn't end when Christmas ends. Why? Because returns are just starting. And not only that, knowing you're going to lose your commission when customers return their gifts. Working retail at Christmas time is not for the faint of heart. But honestly, all jobs have their difficult moments, including your job. There's things that you do not like about your place of work. Maybe it's the long hours. Maybe you feel underpaid. Maybe it's lack of benefits or rewards, lack of incentives. Maybe uh, you feel it's a dead-end job. There's, there's no hope of promotion. Um, or there's frustrations with coworkers you really don't get along with or certain customers from time to time. And then you have the stress of these deadlines and the demanding boss who won't get off your back. And there is no perfect place, no perfect job, no ideal workplace unless you work in a church. It's like living in the millennial kingdom. This is heaven on earth. Never any problems. Everybody's always reasonable, especially the senior pastor, right, staff? <laughs> yeah. Well, how do we make the most of our jobs? How do we make our jobs much more than just a job? And, and how do we work through the difficulties that we face at work? And how do we utilize our place of work for the glory of God and really to give him a platform for his namesake at our place of work. Well, I want you to think about this for a minute. You and I spend a lot of time at our place of work. So we need to make the most of it. As a matter of fact, the Bureau of Labor Statistics last year said Americans spend approximately 8.9 hours, almost nine hours a day working. More than any other activity. Sleeping was second with 7.7 hours a day. That means 30% of a person's life 30% of your life is spent on the job. You better make the most of it if you're going to spend that much of your life working. Peter gives some great advice and some very practical advice on work. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, as we've been studying through this great, great book. He's been encouraging Christians, Christians who are being persecuted, Christians who are suffering in this world. And he's helping them have a proper perspective on life and a proper testimony. And he's teaching them, as we saw last week, how to silence the haters. All the people in our culture and the world that are just going after Christians. And he's helping them, and in helping them, he's helping us. And today he's specifically going to zero in on work. Because work is to be much more than work. It is to be a place where we have a testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And for some of us, the struggle is real at work. You don't like your job. You don't like your boss. You don't like your coworkers. As a matter of fact, you live for the weekend. You cannot stand the thought that you've got to go to work Monday morning. You, you dread it every single day. You dread the commute, and you dread the people, and you dread the stress, and you just dread it. Well, God is going to give you some advice this morning based on his word. And I want you to read along with me 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Verse 18 of 1 Peter 2. Servants, be submissive to your masters. Isn't that great? Just how you wanted it to start off. Be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure, this finds favor with God. Now, you may say, well, that's not exactly what I wanted to hear, Pastor Scott. That's not what I expected to hear. Well, here is my advice. You don't like your job? You're free to quit. You're free to go get another job. You're free to start your own business. Now, you may say, well, I'm not going to quit. Then shut your mouth and do the best job possible for the glory of Almighty God. That's God's words to you. You're dismissed. No, okay, here we go. (laughs) How are you going to make your job much more than just a job? How are you going to excel at work for the cause of Christ? Five things. This is the first one. Say it with me. Do our work humbly. Some of you didn't say it. Let's say it again. Do our work humbly. He starts off with the word servant. In other words, listen, most of us are not the boss. We're not the CEO. We're not the president of our companies. Our first line of responsibility is to serve. And so serve and serve well. Serve and serve faithfully. Now, actually, the meaning of the word is slave. That's the meaning of this word. Slaves made up a very good portion of the early church. Historically, some records record that upwards of 50% of some of the larger cities in the Roman Empire, like Rome, were made up of slaves. The Greek word meant household slaves or those working in the home. And and it could include freedmen, people who are free but continued to live with their former masters. Now, understand something very important here. The Bible does not support slavery. It never has. But the Bible does address the culture at hand. And that's what we have in this passage. God is addressing the culture at hand. The goal was not to discuss the institution of slavery and the politics all around it and surrounding it. The goal was to give practical instruction for Christians who were slaves or Christians who were servants. How to live, to guide believers that were struggling within this social institution, to teach principles that would gradually uh, and, and effectively undermine slavery and servanthood, and also to help us shine for the glory of God in whatever societal situation we find ourselves in. We have a great example of this in the book of Philemon. Philemon is just one chapter long. Philemon was a runaway slave, converted to Christ by the Apostle Paul. And he is sent back to his master, Onesimus, who was also a Christian, so that they could serve together as master and servant for the glory of God. We also read in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 21, 
Were you called while a slave? What, were you saved? Did you come to faith while you were a slave? Do not worry about it. But if you are able also to become free, what? Yeah, get your freedom. Rather do that. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who was called while free is the Lord's slave. In other words, focus on your position in Christ, no matter what s- situation you are in life. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in the condition in which he was called. So if you can gain your freedom, do it. But the key was to serve the Lord faithfully wherever you are. Now, for our understanding, it's best to apply this passage in the context of employer and employee relationships. And so that's what we're going to do this morning and see this in a work or occupational job situation, employer to employee. So remember, we're servants. And then we've got to remember this. Being a servant isn't a bad thing. As a matter of fact, being a servant is a great thing. And you may say, said who? Said Jesus. Mark chapter 10, verse 43. Read this with me. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you, say it, shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So the goal is greatness. The goal is service. How do you make our job your job? Much more than just a job and excel at work for the cause of Christ. Do your work humbly. Number two, say it with me. Do your work submissively. Look at verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters. Now, our culture hates this word. Our culture fights against this word. It fights submission tooth and nail. We, we live in a culture that, why, demands our rights and fights for our rights and sues for our rights. Why? Because we're entitled to our rights. We, we pride ourselves on rebellion and walkouts and strikes and boycotts. And, and it just reminds us of something. Listen carefully. I want to remind us of something very important. Since when are we supposed to be like the culture? Since when are we supposed to emulate the culture? Since when are we supposed to follow the culture? God calls us to be different than our culture. God calls us to stand out from our culture. The Bible never teaches us to focus on our rights. The Bible teaches us to give up our rights. Isn't that what Christmas is all about? Mild he lays his what? His glory by. The Son of God gave up his rights, was born a human to die for your sins and mine. He gave up his rights to save you and to save me from my sins. It's not about holding on to our rights, the Lord says. It's about giving up our rights and understanding true service. The Bible never teaches us to focus on our rights. See, anybody can fight. It takes a spirit-filled Christian to submit and let God fight his battles for him. Anybody can fight. It takes a spirit-filled Christian to submit and let God fight his battles for him. Now, understand, there is absolutely nothing wrong with asking for a raise at your place of work. 
There is nothing wrong with seeking more benefits. There's nothing wrong with desiring better working conditions and asking for them. There's nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with graciously communicating through the right channels how things could be better at this place of work. Nothing wrong with that, and we should do that. Be different than the culture, though. Understand, as servants, we need to submit. Submit to your masters. Submit means to line up under, to willingly place yourself under the authority of another. Peter has already broached this topic. He's already broached it in the area of government. 1 Peter 2, 13 through 15. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. How many human institutions? Every single one of them. Whether to a king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and to the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. That is the power of spirit-filled submission. You shut the mouths of the haters because you submit, because you trust God. Silence ignorant people. Silence foolish people. Some Christians don't know how to silence people. They're too busy giving ammo to the enemy because they don't know how to keep their big mouth shut at work because they always got to be right, those Christians, and they got always got to argue with the boss about this and fight with the coworkers over that. You know, some of us here as Christians need to stop giving ammo to the enemy and start shutting the mouths of the haters Because we understand how to trust and submit at our place of work. Now, there's one very important exception to submission. Listen carefully. Submission and obedience ends where the word of God is broken. It ends. The commands of God trump all commands of men. Acts 5.29, Peter and the apostles answered and said, we must obey God rather than men. So the boss asks you to lie, and God's word says don't lie. Guess what? You don't lie. The manager asks you to cheat. God's word says don't cheat. You don't cheat. You kindly, you privately go to your boss or your manager or that supervisor, and you, you explain to them, I, I, can't, I can't lie I won't cheat. It's not that I disrespect you. It's not that I don't care for the company. But, but I'm a Christian. I'm a believer in the Lord. And, and I follow the Bible. And this is important to me. You handle that graciously and privately. Well, I might lose my job. God will give you another job. He who honors me, God says, I will honor him. You honor God first and foremost. Use this as an opportunity for the glory of God. Use it as an opportunity to share the gospel of God. Use it to give God a platform where you work. How do we make our job much more than a job and excel at work for the cause of Christ? Do our work humbly. Do our work submissively. Third, do our work respectfully. Verse 18, be submissive to your masters with all respect. Attitude is everything. Have a great attitude of respect and honor at your place of work. You may say, well, I really don't like my boss. Too bad. I I disagree with him. Too bad. I I know better than her. Too bad. They are your boss. And, and, And some Christians are very disrespectful. Yes, they work very hard. I work very hard, but you're disrespectful. 
You're slandering and gossiping about the boss behind their back and, and, you're, and you're berating their decisions to others and you're constantly arguing and you're mocking how he or she looks and you're complaining about the work and the pay scale and the hours and you're cutting corners. You're disrespectful. You're disrespectful. God demands that we respect their position and we respect their decisions even if we disagree with them. Titus 2.9 I urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in what? Only when I agree with them. No, in everything. To be well-pleasing. Do you put a smile on your boss's face when you walk in the door in the morning as your boss go, oh no. What do you do to your coworkers when you are around? Are they, they, they honestly and sincerely happy to see you because of the energy and the brightness and the love and the work ethic that you bring into the office or wherever you work? Or do they roll their eyes at you? Well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, that's not stealing, not stealing from the company, not stealing things, not stealing time, not coming in late and then leaving early. Not spending all this time on the internet. But showing good faith so that you, they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. Do you understand the testimony you have for the Lord's sake at your place of work? Attitude is everything. Now, there are some verses that help us when it comes to improving our attitudes. Mine as well. And these are very important to remember. Ephesians 6, 5 through 8. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, so not just working hard when people are watching, but as slaves of Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart. Now the heart has been mentioned twice. Put your heart into your work. With good will render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good that thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. So, in other words, you work for the Lord. I work for the Lord. You have a sacred job. Some of you think, well, I just have a job. I'm just a job. I'm just going to work and pay some bills. I'm just a job. You don't have just a job. Your boss is the Lord Jesus Christ, and your job is sacred. Every single job is sacred before God because you work for the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you ever look at your job as just a job. Your job is holy and your job is special and your job is sacred. Four times, as to Christ, the slaves of Christ, as to the Lord, receive back from the Lord much more than just a job. You have sacred employment and your boss is Jesus Christ. Similar verse, Colossians 3.22. Slaves in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily. Ask for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So, so whether you're an upper management or a custodian or paid a lot or paid little or great benefits or no benefits, whatever your line of work, your job is sacred. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise. How do you make 
your job much more than a job and excel at work for the cause of Christ. Let's do our work humbly and let's do our work submissively and let's do our work respectfully. Number four, do our work irrespectively. What does that mean? Look at verse 18. Not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are what? Unreasonable. So in other words, you you do your work regardless of whether you like the boss or you dislike him, whether he's a good boss or whether he's a bad boss. And some bosses are very good and some are gentle. That's what he says. Not only to those who are good and gentle, good means they're upright and they're fair and they genuinely care about you. They're gentle, they're they're considerate and kind and gracious. They're not harsh, they're not overbearing. They treat you kindly, they speak to you kindly. That's a good boss, that's a gentle boss. There are bosses that are unreasonable. They are anything but good, they are anything but gentle. Unreasonable literally means they're crooked, they're bent. Our English word scoliosis, curvature of the spine, comes from this word. It, It means they are morally perverse. They deviate from what's right. They are dishonest and they are deceptive. Some of you work for people like that. They're dishonest. They're deceptive. They're morally perverse. They're unreasonable. They make unreasonable demands. They require unreasonable hours. They speak unreasonable criticisms. They give unreasonable pay. They're unreasonable. They know it all. They won't listen to reason. Their idea is always the best. Or they take credit for your good idea. Now God has a word for bosses like that as well in Ephesians 6, 9. And masters do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. You make no threats if you're a boss. You show no partiality or favoritism if you're a boss. And if you're a boss, you better remember there is ultimate accountability with God Almighty. He's going to hold you accountable. How do we make our job more than a job and excel for the cause of Christ? Do our work humbly and submissively and respectfully and irrespectively. Verse 19 and 20, do our work consciously. We need to do our work consciously. Look at verse 19 through 20. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? There's no credit for that. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure, this finds favor with God. So first and foremost, it's mentioned twice. Seek the favor of God. Not the favor of your co-workers, not the favor of your friends and family with your work, not the favor of our sin nature, our pride, our arrogance. Don't seek this, the favor of, of us, and, and if it feels good, do it, our carnality. Seek God's favor. It carries the idea of grace. Is God pleased? Is it commendable in his eyes? Is it acceptable and worthy of his praise? That's what it means to find favor. Again, it comes from the word for grace, that there's a proof that God's grace is at work in our lives. We're marked with the grace of God in the way that we work. And he says here, for the sake of conscience toward God. Now, I want to give you four things that I believe this means. Four things. It means we need to work with an awareness. We are conscious of God. We need to work with an awareness first of God's presence. 
Every time you and I go into work, we need to remember God is present. By the way, I'm working right now. God's present. You know what that means? It means when you go into work tomorrow morning, you're not alone. Sometimes some of you feel so alone at work. You're not alone. Your Father is there with you. And he, he sees you. He knows your struggles. He grants you. He will grant you the wisdom you need with the decisions there. He'll grant you the strength day in and day out to make it. You don't go into work alone. Be conscious, aware of his presence. It also means that he's watching me. He's watching you. He's, he's watching our attitude. He's listening to, to, to what we say. He sees the quality of our work. He, he knows if we're coming in early or late and leaving early or late. Let that work work its way out in our lives as well. So we work with an awareness of God's presence. There's a second thing. We work with an awareness of God's sovereignty. Go into work tomorrow understanding my God is sovereign. I can trust him. I can trust him with whatever happens at this place of work today, even if something is unfair. God knew it. God has allowed it for a greater purpose and plan. He has a bigger plan in place. He's sovereign. Thirdly, work with an awareness that that God has a higher calling. That there are people in this office, there are people in this store, there are people in this place of work that I need to impact for the cause of Christ. I have a high calling here. His glory is on the line. My testimony is on the line for him. This this is much more than just work. I have a high calling. God has positioned me in this place at this time to make a difference for him. This is much more than just a job. Fourthly, we need to work with an awareness that we work for God, as we saw earlier. He is our ultimate boss, and there is a sense of duty that he is counting on us. And he will reward us, even if and when our earthly boss does not. So so stop looking around in discouragement at your place of work and start looking up. Start looking up in trust and start looking ahead with encouragement and hope. Be aware, conscience of God. Now, verse 19, secondly, he says in this passage, Bear up when things are a bear at work. A person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. Now, bears up means you need to handle the pressure. Don't succumb to the weight of the the strain of work, the physical demands, the mental or emotional strain. Again, this conscious awareness of God's presence and sovereignty and high calling, it enables us to bear up. I can make this. God is with me. I have have a high calling. He's sovereign over everything. And it motivates us to, to work it through, to persevere. And I want you to understand, bear up is in the present tense. Keep bearing up. Don't you dare quit. Don't you give up. Don't you throw in the towel. Tough it up. Tough, tough it out at work. And continue to tough it out. I've been at church, at this church, the only church I've been, ever been at it for 20 years now. And the only reason I've made it this long at this church is that every day has been perfect. <laughs> the sheep at harvest are sinless and always a joy to shepherd. They never bite the hands that feed them. 
Uh, I've never received a single email criticizing any aspect of ministry or sermons. It's been amazing. It really has. You are so perfect as I am perfect. It is an incredible journey. Uh, The truth is there have been plenty of times over the last 20 years I've just wanted to quit. I'm done. I'm done with you people. I'm done with this church. You know, and, and every year there are things that cause me to want to quit. Uh, and, and every time I've ever gotten a phone call or inquiry from another church, I've thought, hmm, I'm sure there's no problems at that church. <laughs> you know, here's a really good reminder for all of us from James chapter 1, verse 2. Read this passage with me. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Listen carefully. God perfects us through our problems. God grows us through our problems. God matures us through our problems. That's the only way we learn endurance. It's that coal that becomes a diamond under intense pressure. And the more pressure, the greater you can shine for the glory of Almighty God. Now, look at verse 19. We are to expect work to have sorrow and suffering at times. A person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. In other words, jobs do bring unjust sorrow. Your job will have unjust suffering. We have this crazy idea that this job will be perfect and I'll never have any problems. And, and then it happens. Something, something goes wrong. It's like, oh my goodness. What are you talking about? This is a sinful, fallen world. There are problems all over the place. You're going to have problems at work. You're going to have people issues at work. You're going to suffer unjustly at times at work. Expect it. Expect attacks on your character. Expect criticisms of the job you do. Expect assaults on your ability or your talent. Expect people to mock your faith and and try to make your life miserable. We live in a fallen world. And the sooner we accept this, the better. That life isn't fair and work isn't fair. We need to learn to serve through suffering. I learned a really good lesson a couple months ago with suffering. As many of you know, I run marathons and I run ultra marathons. And my last race was a 103 miler. I know, it's crazy, whatever, be quiet. And so, you know, it was a point to point in Minnesota all along the, uh, the hiking trail up there. And, uh, and I went in injured, um, which I don't recommend with, with any race, especially 103 miles. Uh, I had a severe tendonitis that I rested for two good weeks, 14 days. And, and, uh, and, and so I start the race off and... and and actually, this is a mile 99. No, it's not, okay? That's about mile 20. And I got the first 43 miles in without any pain, and then pain. And so for 60 miles, I had nothing but pain. 60 miles of running and power walking up, 42,000 feet of elevation change. But I'm just telling you right now, I'm going to cross that finish line if I have to crawl across it. All right? 
and, and I paid that entry fee, and I got to go home to my wife, okay? And I'm going to finish that race, baby. I mean, and, and, and listen, you got to go deep, and you got to get determined, all right, when you're in this kind of race. You don't, you don't enter a 103-mile race without going deep and getting determined. And, for, and just to let you know, my, I, my legs were on ice for days on end afterward. And on my wrist, I had a bracelet. It just said overcome. It was a bracelet we gave out of church years ago. And I just remembered, I'm an overcomer in Christ. I'm an overcomer in Christ. I'm an overcomer in Christ. I want you to understand, you're an overcomer in Christ. And, and I had a friend, Gary Pico. Where's Gary? Gary's over there. Gary, Gary paced that sucker with me for 60 miles, you know, just encouraging me all along the way. And he saw the pain that I was in. And, and, and let me tell you something. You, you go deep and you get determined. Say it with me. Go deep and get determined. Say it again. Go deep and get determined. Listen carefully. Go deep and get determined in your marriage. You don't quit on your marriage. You go deep and you get determined. You don't quit at work. You go deep and you get determined. You don't quit your family, these kids and this spouse, and that you go deep and you get determined. You don't quit on your finances. You don't quit on your health. You don't quit. You go deep and you get determined. That's what God wants you to do. And you keep going and you keep going no matter what the suffering is, no matter the pain you're feeling. This is a fallen world. And you keep your eyes on the finish line. You go deep and you get determined. And you go deep and you get determined. And by the way, there's no credit for toughing it out when you do something wrong. Look at verse 20. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? See, there are some Christians that are just bad employees. You deserve to be written up. You deserve to be demoted. You deserve to be fired. And you can complain all you want. You got what you deserved. Because you are a bad employee. You argue and you slander and you criticize and you undermine authority and you do end runs and you steal from work and you come in late and you leave early and you waste valuable time on on the internet and the list goes on. You're a bad employee. Favor from God for suffering when doing right is different. But if you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. That's what God wants. God doesn't want a bad employee getting what he deserves. God wants a good employee giving it his all, and at times he's going to suffer, but he's going to go deep, and he's going to get determined. You know what God says? That person's special. That person's special. They, they have a testimony. They have a testimony at work because they accept unjust suffering, and they patiently endure pain and unfair treatment. The spirit-empowered response to suffering is powerful. A spirit-empowered response to suffering is powerful. Your coworkers are going to see that. The customers are going to see that. Your boss sees it. I want you to notice in verse 19, he addresses it as a person bears up. In verse 20, he says, when you do what is right. So all of a sudden, he personalizes it. It's no longer a person. He's saying, I'm speaking to you. I'm speaking to you because you will suffer unjustly at times. You will face sorrow unjustly at times at work. Be prepared for it. Be prepared. God wants you to persevere, to tough it out, to hang in there, to patiently endure, to not quit, to go deep, and to get 
determined, much like his son, our Savior, did, and much like his son, our Savior, taught. Matthew 5, 21, Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is what? It's great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's make our job more than a job. Let's excel at work for the cause of Christ. How? These five ways. Say them with me. Do our work humbly. Do our work submissively. Do our work respectfully. Do our work irrespectively. And do our work consciously of God's presence and his sovereignty and his high calling upon our lives and that we work for him. Let's pray. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You're a believer in Jesus Christ and God has spoken to you about your work, about your work ethic, about your attitude, about your job being much more than a job. Maybe there is sin that you need to confess right now. Just talk to God about that bad attitude. Talk to God about the criticisms you've leveled. Talk to God about the whining and complaining about your job. Confirm that you work for him. That he is sovereign. That he has placed you there to make a difference for his kingdom. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You may be here this morning and you've never come to faith in Jesus. You just need to understand how much God loves you. He gave up all of his rights. He laid his glory by so that he could purchase your salvation, so that he could save you from all your sin, all your shame, all your guilt. You may say, Scott, that's me. I need God in my life. What do I do? In the quietness of your heart, I just encourage you right now to call out to him in faith. Just use words like these. Lord Jesus, I need you. I am a wicked sinner. Please save me from all my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Lord, I place my faith in you to save me. I can't save myself. Only you can save me. Forgive me, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.